0: teach you that the resurrection was always and continues to be through our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Yet, even before he came and was noticed as Jesus on this earth, he was, he is, and he always will be. So I will take you through passages today that will reflect this within the Torah and the prophets as well. I want to start by reading 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. You guys are familiar with this already, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to Hosea. I know I, I have trouble with books that I don't usually find that often, and Hosea happens to be one of them for most people. So if you'll turn to Hosea 13, I'll go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15:50 50 through 58. Says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So, in other words, what we have on right now, we cannot inherit the kingdom with. For he, it says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must be put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, so this passage is very comforting to us because we can look at the resurrection. We know we're going to be transformed in that twinkling of an eye, yet we're going to have to put on a new self at that point. And I love it here where Paul points out the sting has been taken out of death. Now, as you guys all know, I like to use examples when I'm teaching and a large part of that comes from a previous pastor of mine. And these, these examples would stick with me through the, through the weeks, if not months. That's why I do use examples. So when it talks about stinging, the, the one thing that I know we're all familiar with are bees. They sting us. So what I have today, but Rebecca let me borrow her little bee. Right? They'll go around. And if they sting us, And actually, how many of us have been stung by a bee at least once? Yeah, a large part of us. I've been stung many times, uh, at least up to four within my childhood and recently I was stung. But I can remember the most recent time, I got stung in the back of my arm and I quickly grabbed the stinger and pulled it out. And it didn't hurt weeks, but it did hurt for a time, because something had penetrated and broken that skin, and yet I had to heal from it. And in that same way, when we lose somebody, something breaks within us, yet we have that hope in Christ. So, this is what we're going to look at today. Just as a sting, uh, a stinger can actually irritate our skin, and we we will heal from that because we have that hope. As soon as we, that's really what Christ is. He actually removes that sting. So, but yeah, I want to also point out, and I didn't really think about this until I was studying it, that what Paul's speaking about here is within the Old Testament passages. It's in Hosea, where you guys should be. And it says in Hosea 13, verse 14 Shall I ransom? 13, 14. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Right there. And I know the reason I bring this up is because when Boaz has been here and he has taught us, he has said, well, you know, you can take the New Testament passages but you really need to reflect on where they actually come from, where Jesus, where Paul and all the apostles are referring to. So I'm trying to give you a broader knowledge today of the hope of resurrection. Because even though the, the stories in our family that we've been grafted into was so long ago, they had the hope of resurrection and the eternal life. And I'm going to point that out today. So even here, this is where your mind should have went, but it, did, it didn't go there for me, so I wanted to point that out for you as well. If you'll turn to me, I'm going to give you a first perspective of eternal life. Turn to Genesis. That is the first book in the Bible, and I've never had trouble finding that one. <clears throat> Genesis three twenty two. See, Adam and Eve... Sin to come into the world, and it's through their sin that we actually have had to face death. Yet, the eternal perspective is given here. One reason why they actually had to be removed from the garden, and in Genesis 3 it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Interesting here that there was another tree. They could have ate of this one and not of the tree of knowledge. But they chose the tree of knowledge, the one tree that they were not supposed to eat from. Yet this eternal tree, they did not. The rabbis, when I was studying, talk about this and why God had to ban them from the Garden of Eden at this point. And that's because if they ate of the tree of knowledge, and they had all that knowledge of good and evil, sin basically entered into them, then if they ate of this tree, they would have lived in that sin forever. And we, he didn't want that for us. He wants the resurrected body, the one that will live forever in the right way, in the way of righteousness and holiness before Him. So they were banned at this point, but at this point, that's where you can actually see that of eternal resurrection and life everlasting with Him. Now, turn to Job. Job, verses 19, or chapter 19, as you're turning there, Job is actually one of the, one of the or possibly the oldest book in the Bible. As I was reading a few years ago through the chronological Bible, I started to uh, look at commentators and what they said about Job and why they placed it right in the middle of Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. And I thought, wow, Job actually goes back, way back, even before... Noah. Right? He goes so far back that he was a Gentile. He wasn't one of God's he was one of God's chosen people, yet he wasn't of the descendants of Abraham. So God actually had his hand on Job at this point, and Job twenty three, twenty seven. Reminder that this book is the oldest book in the Bible as many educators would say, and scholars. 1923 says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. (laughs) Hey, Job, watch what you asked for, because you're about to get it. We're still reading from it today. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives And at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed. So in other words, he had died, he had been laid to rest, his skin and everything had been decayed. And he goes on and says, Yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. Job had the hope, of eternal life among his God, among the same God that we worship, that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right there, Job points it out. He has that hope. He had that promise, even before Messiah was revealed at that point. Who knows? Maybe he he was so steadfast that God allowed Satan to deal with him. And yet... You see here the richness. He would he had already at this time been struggling with his friends who weren't just standing beside him, but were trying to get him away. So we see here Job holds steadfast to that eternal perspective. And then in Job fourteen, seven through twelve <clears throat> says, For these for there is hope for a tree. When it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and its shoots will not fail, though its roots grow old in the ground, and its stump dies in the dry soil. At the scent of water, it will flourish and put forth sprigs like a plant. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen a tree that is cut down. I've seen orchards, because I grew up in Bakersfield, that are cut down. And usually the stumps have to be ripped out, but if they're not, and the rain comes, you will start to see that stump sprout again. Okay, so that's what he's pointing at here. Those actually can be renewed. But it goes on and says, But man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires, and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea, and a river becomes parched and dried up, so man dies down, lies down, and does not rise. Now here's the key part: until the heavens are no longer. Now this passage right there, that little bitty thing, should actually be reminding us of Revelation twenty-one three through four: until the heavens are no longer. And Jesus also says what? Not nothing. No jot, no tittle will pass away from the Torah until the heavens and the earth are gone. It says, Until the heavens are no longer, He will not awake, nor be aroused out of His sleep. There is a promise in these small little portions of the passages of eternal life. There's hope in the resurrection in just these little small minds or frame of minds. You Try to catch these. I think we read a lot of times so much that we try to read in bulk and we're not catching these small little tittles within scripture that have so much promise. I read over this several times trying to catch it and then finally I said, I'm going to read through this and I'm going to look at each passage point by point and just think about it. And that's what I started to catch. But Revelation 21, as I said here, Says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there no longer will be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. How glorious that day in itself will be. So Job, even Job here, has that promise of resurrection. Next passage that we're going to look at, actually, Ezekiel 37. We are very familiar with 37 in this congregation because we've been taught the prophecies. And so many churches, actually, will look at Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel at the prophecies and see revelations as well. Yet today we'll look at this and we'll see Ezekiel's given the vision. And he says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and I brought, he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry." So he's, a, he's in basically a huge cemetery of the chosen people. And this vision is going on. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now reminder, he already knew the passages from Job. He knew the Torah at this point and the promise of the rex- resurrection. And he answers and says, Oh Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. And again, the promise of the resurrection right there in in our face. I will put, now I had to look up sinews. I had no idea what that meant. And that means strength. So if you want to put that in your Bibles, that means strength. Strength. So God will put strength on you again, basically, is what it's saying. Make flesh grow back on you, cover your skin, put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So, as we laid Braden to rest yesterday, and his body will decay, yet, right here in this promise within the prophets, it's Promising that his body will be raised. He will have strength again. Not of Mido, but of God. The Holy Spirit. And he will cause his flesh to come back. The promises. God is amazing. And glory be to him. So it says, it goes on to say, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I'm glad it was Ezekiel, because I would have been freaked out at that point, hearing these bones rattle. I wonder if it was a little like this. And I looked, and behold, the strength were on them, and the flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Wow, amazing this vision of the promise of the eternal. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. Now, if that doesn't speak to us from the passages of First Thessalonians, I don't know what does. So let's turn there. First Thessalonians 4, chapter 4. And I'll go ahead and read the last verse of Ezekiel as you do that. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. And I will place you in, on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. He will put His Spirit within us. Now it also speaks, right? If He's going to put that Spirit there at all times, we'll know what this Torah says at all times, and we will desire to know it. Yet we struggle today to follow it and live as godly and righteous as we can because we are flesh and bone that has not been transformed yet. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 think about what the passage we just read from Ezekiel. It says, "But we do not want to be uninformed, brethren, but those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep." For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will first rise. Then we who are alive remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Wow, that just re- goes back and forth from the new to the old. If you're reading this, you really need to go back to those passages. So you become just as familiar with this promise of resurrection from Christ in the New Testament with that of those in the Old. They are family members, old and new. So, I could go on. I could go into the passages of Isaiah. (coughs) Um, And we could reflect on and on in Daniel as well. But right now I want you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 11 the one that has brought me to this time. The reason I came up with this teaching, and we all knew so many of these comforting passages, we, we need to have a more uh, rounded mindset to know that the, the people in the scriptures within the Old Testament are also our brothers and sisters in Christ. They look to Him. Messiah made himself present, and I, I've thought about this, I to put together a teaching on where Messiah made himself known to the people, even in the Old Testament, when it says that God came down, obviously that was Jesus Christ, but he just wasn't born yet, and Jesus points to that he was, he was from the beginning. I've thought about putting together a teaching series on that as well. Um, I actually just heard that Greg Laurie was going to be doing that on Thursday night. So um, I thought that, that might be interesting for you guys to hear if I can pull that together. But anyways, John 11. Talks, this is the story that all of us know. It's where Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet it talks about a resurrection that Mary and Martha are very familiar with, that we just went over. Yet, I know, I was always familiar with the resurrection of Christ. Yet, the promise of the resurrection was in old. And I think that, hopefully, what I've already went over will enlighten and broaden what your knowledge is within the resurrection itself. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It wasn't Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So he's basically identifying who this is here. And he goes on to say, So the sister sent word to him, that is, Jesus, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, if you had heard this, and basically somebody says, Hey, Phil's really down in the dumps. I won't pick on Phil, I'll pick on Ivan. Ivan's down in the dumps, and he's not really feeling good, but I know that you can help him, and you can comfort him. I would probably get in my car and go out there as soon as I could. Yet, what's Jesus? It says that, but when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, So it identifies how he felt about them. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. (laughs) Now, Jesus loved him. He had these emotions and these strong feelings for him. But yet he's going to stall from going to heal him. They had already known about the healings. They'd seen it with their own eyes that Jesus could heal those who were born with no eyesight. But he stalls. Why? Because he prophesies right there in verse 4 that this illness will be for the glory of God himself. I know later on as we read through this, if I was Lazarus and he proved a point through me, I would probably ask Jesus, Can I talk to you for five minutes? And during that five minutes, I'd say, Can you pick John or Peter next time to prove a point? You let me stink. But glory be to God, for he actually proved that he is a resurrection. Let's go on to read. He said, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So from the city where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are, they were seeking the stone him, but he says, let's go back there. Jesus answered, are you, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, stumble. But because he sees the light of the world, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. I love this. He uses the light as this idea of if you know what's going on, the light bulb will go off. Yet, we're going to see in the next passage, the light bulb's not going off in the disciple's head. And a lot of times it doesn't go off in my own head until I go to him and pray about it. So the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Wow. Sleep is the best thing for an illness, Jesus. Why would you worry about it? Maybe he's sleeping and he's getting better. They didn't understand what he was saying. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. And Jesus, actually, if you think about it, he was. Because what happens? We fall asleep. Our spirit goes to heaven. But our bodies are asleep in Christ. And when that glorious day comes back, the same way that we're going to see Lazarus raised from the dead, our bodies will be raised and be taken up by him. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You guys don't get it. Here you go. He's dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, if I was Lazarus and I was reading through this, I'd be knocking all those guys down and saying, hey, can you please get it next time? He's basically having to do this because of you. You're not understanding this. Therefore, Thomas, this so speaks, being a behavioral scientist and psychologist, Thomas, man, he has problems. He needs therapy. (coughs) But, Look what he says here, He says to his fellow disciples, "Let us also go so that we may be die, that we may die with him. Let us join Lazarus in death." That's what he's saying. Now if you recall, Thomas was the one that wouldn't believe until he could put the finger in Jesus' side, couldn't and he had to have proof. So he takes Jesus as a literal term thinking, Oh, well, Lazarus, if you're going to prove something through him, prove it through me too. It goes on here though. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So we have a home that's being consoled. They're in mourning at this time. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Look at this. There are the sisters in the house mourning for their brother. Yet one is excited to see Jesus himself. I'm not saying the other one's not, but you can see that there's two different mourning processes, even in this home. Just like my sister and I mourn differently, and you and your siblings or your friends will mourn differently. And that's why I've seen it this week. Bruce is going to mourn differently than Linda. And yet, we have to allow that to happen. So Martha ran out. She wanted to actually see Jesus. And Mary staying behind and being consoled by those f- friends and family. So... In 21, Martha then said to Jesus when she arrived, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had seen all the miracles. She had known that he could do all these miracles. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, now think about it. We read from the Old Testament passages, the promise of the resurrection. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She already knew this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ You are the Messiah, the one that I've been looking for, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, and saying secretly, Jesus is here for you. The teacher is here and is calling for you. You must come. When she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He's still outside but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, the ones still consoling Mary, and cons- they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. They were going to go follow her, thinking that maybe she's going back to Lazarus. But they followed her to Jesus. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. I love this part. They're mourning in different ways. One ran out before her and went back and got her. Yet, they're thinking a lot alike. Would Martha just say the same words? <clears throat> Picking up in 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus' emotions are expressed here. He was human. Sometimes we have a, a way of just keeping him too high and not being human. But right there, it shows his emotions and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. First passage I ever memorized was next. It says, Jesus wept. I don't know about you guys, but that's a pretty easy one. I don't even know if I got a sticker for that one, though. (laughs) So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. See how emotional he was. When we're emotional, it shows how close we were with that one that has passed. So Jesus here shows how close he was with Lazarus. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So they're not even giving him the glory that is needed right now. That's why Jesus waited. He had to prove to these people. He didn't have to prove anything, actually. Yet, it was for the glory of his Father. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by the time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. That is a horrific smell. Have you guys ever smelled fish that have been laid out for even two? It would be a lot worse than that. Not a good smell at all. So she's warning him, Don't do this. picking up in 40. Jesus said to her, "Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God?" The glory of God is raising us from the dead and being with him for all eternity. That's the true glory of God. So they removed the stones and Jesus said his raised his eyes and said to his father, "I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me." So in other words, And then it goes on. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. So he's here. He's weeping. And then he lifts his eyes to heaven. And he's basically saying, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me. Even in my sorrows, you hear me now. When he had said these things, He cried out in his distress. And for these people, he's saying, Father, hear me now, not for my own meaning, but so that your glory would be filled. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Just like the archangel will say it on that day when he raises our loved ones. From the dead, and we will be lifted with him into the skies and taken with him first class to Jerusalem. So <clears throat> the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. They had changed his clothes, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had been done believed in Messiah. The glory of God on this day had been seen. He had had raised Lazarus from the dead. Not just the resurrection, and I've heard this said many times by Bruce, Lazarus had to die again. He had experienced it already. Yet that promised hope of resurrection that we read within the Torah and the prophets, that they clung to for all that time and we cling to today, we see through this that it was through Jesus Christ that we have that hope. They had not maybe even met him, but they had heard the stories and they clung to the eternal hope of resurrection. And because of that, and because we even have the fuller knowledge of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we can see the stories. We can see how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and we cling to the same hope. For there is not a sting with God's chosen people, But there is esteem when you don't have that eternal hope of resurrection. Let us go to him in prayer today.